My scheduled preaching in the morning service was supposed to mark our second week looking at Paul's letter, his second letter to the Corinthians, and it was supposed to happen next week. But we're living in a topsy-turvy world, and thus, we're going to look at the second passage first (laughs) and take a deeper dive into the opening passage next week. But to provide context, we're going to read the entire chapter. So if you're using the Bibles provided for you, please turn to page 964 as we start at the very beginning of this ongoing letter to the church at Corinth. And hear now God's word for us this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, 4. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. For we are not writing to you anything other than that which you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. 
For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Salvanius and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. For you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Amen. Well, having heard from the word of the Lord, let's turn to the Lord of the word in prayer. Let's pray together. O God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servants gathered to worship. And Father, we come this morning from different spaces and places with distinct reasons and needs, carrying diverse burdens and blessings, but with a common desire to hear from you. We thank you that you have inspired your word and provided it to your people. And so now as we turn to it, open before us. May it be that again which points to the all-sufficiency of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, reveal yourself to us through the proper proclamation of your word that we might hear from you at this hour. For we can only know you if you give yourself to be known. And so speak into our hearts and into our lives through your spirit that we may know your love, your grace, your mercy, and then rightly reflect it to a hurting world. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Well, um, I'm, I'm not a birder, and I make no claims as such. So what I'm about to say to you could be absolutely incorrect, but it's based on observation and a very quick Google search. About 15 years ago, our daughter painted uh, a birdhouse. And for about 14 years, it sat in our basement until COVID cleanup rediscovered it, and I put it up in our backyard. And last year, wrens moved in, but sadly, their babies didn't make it. And so this year, I paid a little more attention to them and noticed that almost as quickly as the wrens tried to build their nest, the sparrows came and pulled it apart. And so I I kind of became the wren protector. 
and tried to scare off the sparrows as often as I could. I even removed the little peg perch after Google told me that it would keep predators from gaining access to the nest. So far, the wrens seem to be succeeding. But it was interesting to see how mean and aggressive sparrows can be. Especially when you consider that Jesus values us more than sparrows. But he also links us to sparrows. Now my time looking at birds and my time looking at 2 Corinthians have coincided a bit. The Apostle Paul finds himself in a a defensive posture. His ministry and his integrity are, are under attack. Like the sparrows pulling apart the wren's nest, they harass, attack, compete, and destroy. And, but we learn a lot when we see how the apostle responds, highlighting the sincerity of his character, the reality of his conduct, and the authority of his communication. For Paul, the apostle, the one who helped start the church at Corinth, the one persecuted for his unswerving faith, the one who was in change for the gospel finds him in the crosshairs. But this time, it's by supposed friends. For there are some from Corinth who were offended that Paul changed his visitation plans. Now, I I must admit, I do find the irony rich to be preaching on a text about changing plans. (laughs) Nevertheless, this smaller group from within the church started sowing seeds of discord about Paul as a a double-minded man who was unable to stick to his plans. Now, our, our COVID world has adjusted our expectations so that changing plans is now second nature to many of us. But before we skip right past this double-minded dismissal, consider if there are other aspects that might hit closer to home concerning leadership. Do we find ourselves ever judging based on personality or pronunciation or punctuality or presentation? We must be careful not to elevate that which is in the area of Christian liberty to gospel essentials. Now Paul moves from his great opening where he expands and expounds on the God of all comfort to defending his integrity. And this transition is wonderful. And we will be greatly encouraged next week when we sit in these opening 11 verses. But just from the reading, you can hear Paul's balance of affliction and comfort. The God of all comfort brings comfort to us in our afflictions so that we can bring comfort to others in affliction. We live in a sinful broken, fallen world full of sin, brokenness, and results of the fall. So we will face affliction. We do not face it alone, but with the God of all comfort. What an opening reminder and how amazing. Since Paul could consider the Corinthians on the list of those causing him afflictions. I'm not sure about you, but I find it instructively convicting to think of how 
I too often respond to minor inconveniences and, and call them afflictions compared to the example that Paul sets before us today. So think about the setting. Paul has endured grave difficulties. And, and rather than showing loving concern for him, these dividers write him off as unspiritual and vacillating. They directly call his integrity into question while setting themselves up. Paul later refers to them in chapters 11 and 12 as super apostles, not a designation he supports, but a jab at how they carried themselves. Paul, who called himself the least of all apostles, has his integrity called into question by the self-designated super apostles. So what does he do? He defends his integrity, not for the sake of his reputation, but for the sake of the one he represents. For integrity and ministry, integrity and witness, integrity and the gospel are bound together. So Paul starts to provide a defense by appealing to the sincerity of his character in verses 12 to 14, and, and he does so in an interesting way, by boasting. Our ears perk up when we hear this word, thinking of James 4.16, among other verses. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. But that's not where Paul heads. Look back again at verse 12 and at the end. For in other places, Paul asserts that boasting in the form of human arrogance is sin. But he has also written in the opening chapter of 1 Corinthians, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so that's what he does. His good behavior, his sincerity of character is not by earthly wisdom, but it's by the grace of God. And the application comes to us immediately when we recognize and assert that if you walk away today understanding just a little bit better who you are and who you've been made to be in Christ, that that is by God's grace and not earthly wisdom or good oration. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Don't, don't forget the context. Paul's integrity is being questioned. And his first defense asks the Corinthians to remember his sincerity of character. They have the history of their time together as he lived with them for 18 months, working towards the building of the church and her people. And they have all his writings. Verse 13 talks about the letters that continued the good work. Now, Before closing this section, Paul adds two more boasts, ones that will come in the future. The great day when the Corinthians will boast of Paul and Timothy, and they will boast of the Corinthians. What great confidence and assurance Paul has and asserts of that wonderful day of Christ and all that he will accomplish. And that's the impetus of any and all of our boasting. Well, Paul now moves on to the middle of our passage, and that's where we find Paul's authority of communication and the heart of his message. For in verses 15 to 22, they contain a beautiful picture and a defense of Paul's integrity, of Paul's ministry to the Corinthians. And it's all about grace, and it's all about Jesus. 
For at the center of the Bible is Jesus Christ. And at the center of Paul's defense is also Jesus. And keep your eyes on that, that middle paragraph. The main accusation against Paul as vacillating was because he changed his plans. And the conclusion they wanted others to draw was that if he cannot keep his word by keeping his plans, he cannot be trusted in anything else. Despite being faulty logic, it seems to have captured the attention of some and led to this letter. But we know how Paul defends, not himself, but the message. And he does so by turning to God and his grace. For verse 15 ends with Paul highlighting the reason he wanted to visit was grace. That's been his main message. But people were saying he was going back and forth. Yes and no. And so Paul continues in verse 18. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. People change. Circumstances adjust. But God is faithful. And in his grace and by his mercy, he has provided his son as an atoning sacrifice, a sure payment, a confirmed guarantee that is always yes. Brothers and sisters, there is no greater message we can hear and no greater comfort that we can have than knowing in Jesus Christ it is always yes for the children of God. Now, this does not mean we have our own fairy godmother or wish-granting genie or mystical lord of the sky that will always say yes like a permissive parent. Note that the yes is not to our request, but it's about provision. For verse 20 notes that the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. It is not just the grace of the Son of God positionally as the Son of God, but also the grace of God sacrificially as the Son of God. Every promise finds its yes, finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Now those outside of Christ don't see their yes in Jesus. Before knowing the Savior, most look to Jesus and think, no. That God is a God of no, who comes to steal my pleasure, to take away my freedoms, and, and not allow me to do anything fun. And maybe even in a moment of honesty, the no of, no of Jesus might even be something feared. But for the believer... As surely as God is faithful, in Jesus, all the promises of God find their yes, always. John Newton's uh, familiar hymn comes to mind, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrow, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. And that last part, drives away his fear, also comes as a result of all the promises of God finding their yes in Jesus. Now last week at our baccalaureate service, we looked at Nehemiah's opening prayer, and in it, Nehemiah asks God to remember his covenant promises, his blessings, 
and curses. And he prays, remember the word you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to make my name dwell there. And that's part of our finding of our yes in Jesus. That, that even the curses, the promised curses, find their yes, find their completion in Jesus. For all the judgments of God were laid on Christ at Calvary. Bearing my sin, my cross, my shame. That's why we can be so sure that all the promises of God are ours. For Paul tells us that it is why it is through him that we can utter amen to God for his glory. Because if Christ took on the penalty, took on the curse for my sin and paid it all, then I can have absolute confidence that the promised blessing is mine as well. Not by my works or effort or merit, but by God's grace. Paul has written again in, in, in Galatians, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's God's yes for you and for me. No longer judged by our actions, no longer condemned by our sin, but redeemed and set free to live reflectively. For Paul states it clearly in, in verse 20, that it is through Him, through Christ that we utter our amen to God for His glory. There's no other path to glorify God. No other means to approach His throne but in the name of Jesus, through the, the grace of Jesus and by the promise of Jesus. No wonder Paul says, yes! That's the encouragement that comes to the children of God. And God is faithful to His promise and active in establishing us and keeping us in relationship. In Christ, we are established as heirs. In Christ, we are anointed for His glory. In Christ, we are sealed and given His Spirit. In Christ, we are guaranteed eternal life. But in Christ, we are not guaranteed an easy life. Paul knew that. He opens this chapter with afflictions. And then he moves on to defending his integrity. And he concludes this section defending with the reality of his conduct. But he does so with tears. You see, Paul comes back to the argument at hand, his integrity. And he calls them to recall and recount his conduct. They've known him and supported him. He's been working for their joy, and he still is. And he's not doing so independently or, or self-sufficiently. Paul lays it all out transparently and graciously. And that's a, a helpful way for us to move forward. And instead of marking it out by what we might label as success, we should think of it in terms of significance. Paul's main goal was not to defeat his enemies and reestablish his integrity and leadership. 
but it was for God's glory. His main goal was the gospel. The clear understanding of the promise-keeping God who has redeemed His people by His grace and through His Son. And those who are in Christ are a new creation, a new family of faith. And the overarching connection between us is then love. For Christ's love compels us. And while we do not know the exact circumstances for this issue of, that Paul describes in this letter, we do see how Paul handles it. In the midst of affliction and accusation, he writes a defense not of himself, but of his Savior. And he does so with anguish of heart and many tears. And as one has noted, it takes real love to confront a difficult situation rather than sidestepping it. But we know our lives to be similarly complex. We each experience afflictions and, and pains and dark realities of living in a sinful, broken, fallen world. We bump up against others. We fail in our flesh. Misunderstand earthly wisdom. But thanks be to God who is faithful. And thanks be to Jesus Christ where all the promises are fulfilled. And so, sealed as His child, and with the Spirit in us as our hearts as a guarantee, we live our lives uttering our amen all of our days, all for His glory. And so as we depart this morning, we do so with a sure confidence and renewed hope of our faithful God. Yes. Let's pray. Our incredibly gracious Father, we take time now in the quietness of our hearts to thank You for Your Word. And it's a reminder that as your children, we are your beloved. Sinful, broken, and fallen as we are, we unswervingly hold to you knowing you love us, you provide for us, you redeem us for your glory. And so as we leave this morning with the hope of the gospel and the confidence of your promises, we ask for wisdom and discernment, knowing ourselves blessed to be a blessing. So give us healthy eyes to see, hearts of undivided devotion and hands ready to help those in need, that we make the most of every opportunity before us, seeing each and every circumstances from your hand. To you be the glory and honor and dominion and power before all time and now and evermore. Amen.